as if we're starting the next series today, but actually we're not. But we are going to be answering a question today. And the question really is, as we posed it to you on Facebook, do you have to be baptized to be saved? We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about just what in the world is this whole deal about baptism? So let's jump in here. As I've been studying up for this topic for today, I have uh, I have been preparing and I've learned so much from one of my mentors. And what I want to do today is to do my best to, as accurately as possible, pass on to you what I have learned about baptism from this person. It's it, 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 I think you will be encouraged as we go through this morning. Baptism for so many people is really an emotional topic because the way you feel about baptism is probably what you were taught if you grew up in church. If you had a church background at another church, another denomination, uh, another group, whatever they taught about baptism is what you hung on to and that has probably probably been your view and we hold on for some reason we hold on to those views very emotionally if you weren't raised in church then you think about this whole baptism thing probably as being a little bit weird it seems like some kind of religious ceremony that maybe belongs back in the dark ages but baptism, as we look at the Bible, is very, very important. Because when you read the New Testament, you find that when someone put their faith in Jesus, when they put their faith in Christ, they got baptized. And then at the end of the ministry that Jesus had here on this earth, right before he went back to be with God the Father, he said something very, very profound that has really shaped the way we view baptism. It's in Matthew chapter 28, starting with verse 18. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Verse 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And then here's what he said. This is the words of Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He then said, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. He said, I am with you even to the end of the age. Now, this is a command from Jesus and he says, I want you as a church, you go and baptize these new followers. So what's the big deal? about baptism and why has baptism been attached to things like this to baptizing infants or baptizing babies especially in light of the fact that as we look at the new testament we don't really see that practice in the new testament now let me pause here for just a moment to give you just a little bit of a warning because that might, we hold on to this baptism thing so emotionally that if you were raised in a church or a denomination where they did baptize infants, babies, or they christened babies, then this may sound like that I'm attacking your church or your background. I, I've had many friends who grew up in a background where they did baptize infants. 
But here's what I've discovered for most of my friends. Now, this may not be true for you, but for most of my friends who grew up in that background, they were never personally encouraged to dig into the Scripture, to the Bible, on their own. They respected the Bible. They, they were moral people. They followed Jesus. They loved Jesus. They just never were encouraged to read the Bible. They believed that the Bible was true. They had no question about that. They just were never encouraged to read it. So consequently, for my friends who grew up in a background where they did that, they were never really encouraged to personally read the New Testament or to read the Bible. In their case, that means that if the church told them something, then that's what they did. Because if they weren't encouraged to read the scripture on their own, then they were trusting that what the church said was exactly the way it needed to be done. Does that make sense? So at Stuttgart Harvest Church, we teach a little bit differently than if you were raised in that background. The way we teach is that we say that Scripture is the authority. Sometimes a church will say that the church is the authority and that it is the job of the church to interpret the Scripture for the people. At Stuttgart Harvest Church, we teach that the Scripture is the authority. We do our best to teach it. But we encourage you as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, to dig into the scripture yourselves and to allow God's spirit to interpret that for you. So we teach that scripture is the authority. Now, a church that teaches that the church is the authority, yes, they still love Jesus and they love the scripture and they hold it in high regard. But we encourage you as a believer, as a follower to get into the word and and to follow the word. We're going to be looking at scripture today. And our goal is let's look and see what the Bible has to say about baptism. Regardless of what we grew up thinking about baptism or regardless of what we were taught about baptism, maybe today we could just simply look at the scripture And do our best to let the scripture speak and let God speak and help us understand this just a bit more. If at the end of our teaching time today you're wondering, well, why why was I never taught this? Then perhaps you could just take some of this information and you could go take that to your priest or to your father or to the person that taught you as you grew up, and you can say, hey, is this guy nuts? Is he crazy? Is, is he off base as he teaches this? But I think what you're going to discover is this, that there's a major difference between believing that the Scripture is the authority and believing that the church is the ultimate authority. It doesn't mean that they don't love Jesus. It doesn't mean that they don't respect God's Word. It just simply means that if you were never encouraged to read the word on your own, then you are dependent upon what someone else says for your understanding. And so naturally, you're going to do whatever the church tells you to do. 
So today, today we're going to tell you what's in the Bible, what the Bible has to say about this amazing story. Let me give you some background. As we tell this story, let's just kind of imagine that we are in the first century. That means Jesus, right around the time that Jesus was here. If you were not Jewish during that time and you happened to live in this Jewish area, this Palestinian area, then perhaps you might, uh, like many people did, they saw the Jewish faith and they saw that they worshipped one God, Yahweh, and that maybe you might begin to think that this is the correct religion. Maybe that would come to your mind. And you would say, is there a way for me, a Greek or a Roman, to become Jewish? Because I was not born Jewish. Is that a possibility exists? And they would tell you, yes, that is a possibility. And there's a few things that you need to do. And they give you a list of things that you would need to do in order to become Jewish. One of those things on that list would be that you needed to, to have a ceremonial washing in water. And so to do that, someone would go down into a body of water, they would go down into the river, and they would have not a real washing, not a real bath, but a ceremonial dunking, a ceremonial washing. In essence, kind of washing away the Gentileness, that's anyone who's not a Jew, and and washing away that Gentileness, kind of washing away the old life, and symbolically saying that this new life, I am now going to take this new way of thinking, this new way of worshiping, this new way of following God as my own. Their laws are going to be my laws. Their, their religion is going to be my religion. Their God is my God. Now, chances are in the first century, they had a specific word that they might use to describe that. The word is this in the Greek, it's baptizo. Obviously, we kind of recognize that, right? They would say that you would have to baptizo. And, and, and when we hear that word, we have an image that comes to our mind. Because that word for us is a very religious word. But then the word was not a religious word. It was an everyday used word. It just simply meant to wash. It could mean to dunk or to dip under. It, it, they would use it to describe how if they were going to dye a fabric and they would dunk it into the dye, they would dip it and submerge it into the dye. They used it to describe what would happen if a ship was sinking in the sea. They would use it to describe many things in everyday life, baptizo to dunk, to dip, to submerge, to wash. It was an everyday use word. So if you were a Roman and you heard that you were going to have to baptizo, then you knew what it meant. You would have to wash. It was just an everyday word. Really no religious connotation at all. Here's an example of this word being used in the New Testament. Listen to this. It's in Luke chapter 11. As Jesus was speaking, 
one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went and took his place at the table. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 38. His host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. Obviously, the word I want to focus on there, that phrase, that hand-washing ceremony, that's an example of, in the Greek, that word being used, baptizo. Now, here's why I want to talk about this for a moment. Something happened as our translators were taking this from the Greek and translating it into our, our language, into English. Every English translation of the Bible has taken that word, baptizo, in this verse and translated it as a washing. That's important. There's two ways to take a word and to make it make sense in another language. The first way is called a translation, and that's what we just read, was a translation of that word. Baptizo means to wash, to dip, to dunk. And so they translated that word just like that. There's a second way to make it make sense in another language, and that is called a transliteration. A transliteration is where you take the word from the other language and you do your best to create the, a similar sound of that word in the new language. And that's where we get the word baptism. Does that make sense? So here's what happens. You take a word from the Greek, baptizo, and you could translate it, wash, to dip, to dunk, to submerge. That's a translation. But if you create a new word that sounds like the other word, that's called a transliteration, and that's where we get the word baptism. And everywhere else in the New Testament where this word is used, baptizo, this is the only place it's translated wash. Do you know why they translated it wash? Because that's what it means. That's what the word actually means. But in all the other places in the New Testament, they transliterated the word and they called it baptism. Now, that's no big deal, really. But here's where it causes the confusion. Because they created a new word. That word wasn't around. They transliterated that word. They created a new word. For the Greeks, baptizo was an everyday word used all the time. But in English, baptism, it is a word that strictly, almost solely, has religious connotations. There lies a lot of confusion. So let's continue. Back to the first century. So let's say you consider becoming Jewish. 
and it would require a baptizo, which was for you just an everyday normal word. When you heard it, you understood what that meant. You weren't confused because it wasn't a religious word. It was a word that actually described an everyday action. So let's say you make your way down by the river. As you're down there, you hear kind of a commotion going on. You look across the river and you see that there's a man standing in the river. You walk a little closer to the bank so that you can listen and hear what's going on. And you hear the man say this, repent, repent, prepare yourselves. And he's, he's talking about preparation. He's talking about something that God's going to be doing. And then what you see with your eyes is the actual first recorded event of this ever taking place that's been recorded anyway. You see people walking into the river and they walk up to this man and he takes them physically and he ceremonially washes them, dunks them, submerges them, dips them some kind of way. You see this. Now, you understand maybe a ceremonial washing, but up until this point, people did that themselves. But in this scenario, this man was doing it to these people. And you begin to realize that these people somehow are buying into what this guy is saying. This guy gets a nickname. You may have heard it. They call him John the Washerman, John the Dunker, John the Dimper, John the Sinker. In our Bibles, we see it as John the what? The Baptist. That religious word, right? But for them, it was like John the Washerman. It was an everyday action. Now, now those, those looking on, they begin to kind of relate this to what they understand about if someone wants to become Jewish and they understand there's a ceremonial washing. And they say, this is related. It's kind of a baptizo. It's kind of a a ceremonial dunking, a ceremonial cleansing, a ceremonial washing. Now, John was not a Baptist. He got the nickname because he was the first guy in recorded history, to ceremonially wash somebody else. And they were familiar with that term. So he got the nickname John the Dunker, John the Dipper, John the Sinker, John the Washerman. Now, you look out at John the Washerman, and you see him point. And now he says this. He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then this guy steps into the water. You hear people whispering, that's Jesus, that's that's John's cousin. And you hear Jesus say to John, John, wash me. And John says, I I, I can't wash you. I'm not even worthy to to tie your shoelaces. I, I can't wash you. And Jesus says, no. Wash me. John says, I can't do it. He says, no, wash me. Finally, John says, okay. And then when Jesus comes up out of the water, they hear a voice and it says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. 
And from that point on, Jesus moves out and his ministry begins. And Jesus, some of his followers, they move on down another part of the river and they begin baptizing, not Jesus himself, but his followers there begin baptizing other people. So people began to put this together. They began to realize that there's some kind of spiritual significance to what is happening. So in other words, if you become a follower, then you get washed. Now, meanwhile, while Jesus' ministry is happening and going on, John ends up, John the washerman, he ends up getting arrested. A couple of his followers, a couple of guys who John baptized, they leave the area. In fact, they leave the country. And they begin teaching other places and telling people, they say, you know, prepare yourselves because God is sending his Messiah. Repent. Prepare yourselves because God is sending the Messiah. And they go off and they teach in some other countries. At the same time, Jesus has been doing his ministry. And all that time, he, during that time, he goes to the cross. Three days later, he walks out of the tomb while these guys are still in another country. And they're in Europe saying, repent. God is going to send the Messiah. The Father is going to send the Messiah. Repent. Prepare yourselves. And while they were doing that, Jesus had come, he had gone to the cross, he rose again, and these guys didn't even know it yet. So a few years go by, and we have this guy named Paul who comes on the scene, and Paul gets radically saved. Paul gets baptized, and he follows Jesus, and Paul goes out and begins teaching. And Paul runs across these two guys. Years later, he runs across these guys in Ephesus, and he hears them teaching, and they're saying, God's going to send the Messiah. Prepare yourselves. Get ready. Get ready. And Paul hears that. He kind of takes them to the side, and he's like, where, where did you hear this message? And like, we heard it from John the Dunker. <laughs> He got arrested, we took the message on, and we were teaching what he was teaching. We're his followers, his disciples. And Paul says, dude, what you're talking about, it's happened. The Messiah has come. The Messiah taught. The Messiah went to the cross and died. Three days later, he rose again. Listen to what Paul tells these guys in Acts chapter 19, verse 4. Paul says, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. In verse 5, as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, they were rewashed. They were redunked by Paul now in the name of Jesus. And that, that is a summary of what the New Testament teaches about baptism. Because basically from that point on, everyone who became a follower of Jesus was washed or dipped or dunked or submerged. However you want to translate that word, that's not so important. 
What's important is that they were. Baptizo. Now, what do we learn from all of this? What are the implications of this? It's very simple to understand what baptism is. From what we see practiced in the New Testament, baptism is a public declaration of a new association. It's a public declaring of a new identity. So let's look at what this means. So if you were a Gentile and you wanted to become a Jew, you would have to be washed to say that you have a new association. You would publicly have this washing ceremony to say, I am now associating with the Jews. I have a a new community. This is my new way of thinking, my new life. I'm taking on their rules, their laws. I am now one of them. And it was a public declaration. Then you have John, the dunker man. And those who were being baptized by John were saying this. I'm going public with the fact that I'm believing what this man is saying. I'm identifying my life with his words. And I see them as true. Now this is important because that's why Jesus would not baptize John, but he asked to be baptized by John. And it was Jesus saying this, what John is saying, I say, is the truth. What John is teaching, Jesus saying, I am declaring that is true. With my life, I'm saying that is true. This guy's telling the truth, and I'm going public with that. And then you have the picture of Jesus, his disciples washing people, baptizing people. Those people were saying publicly what Jesus is teaching. I'm following it. I'm taking that as my truth. I have a new association. We are attaching ourselves to the truth that he is teaching, and we are not ashamed. And from that time on, baptism, washing, it was a decision to go public with this new association to saying, I'm attaching my life to that truth. Now, when Jesus left the earth, Baptism was the way that people publicly declared that I'm following Jesus. In fact, that's what he commanded for us to do. They're saying I'm identifying with him, with the way he taught. I'm associating my life with Jesus. The significance of water originally was washing away my old identity and coming alive in this new life, this new identity. It was not really a religious thing. It was a common, everyday word. 
But Jesus chose to take that word and to make it a central part of following Jesus. Now, through the years, churches and denominations... They have loaded that one word up, baptized. They've loaded it up with different meanings and different traditions. One like baptizing infants. But the best way to understand how the New Testament teaches about this word is to understand what actually happened during that time. And that's what we just looked at. And really, when you take it at its purest and simplest form, that's the practice of baptism. That's the meaning of baptism. Now, what does all of that have to do with us? What are the implications? Here's the first. I think we can teach from this that baptism, according to the New Testament, is for individuals who have personally made a decision to associate their life with Jesus. So who should be baptized? I would say that the Bible teaches anyone who's old enough to make a decision to say, I understand what Jesus did for me, and I'm making a decision to associate my life with his life. And I'm not embarrassed to let people know about it. I'm not embarrassed to let them know I'm a follower of Jesus. Now, simply at Stuttgart Harvest Church, that, that's why we don't baptize infants. We do baby dedications, but we don't baptize infants. Because a, a, a child, an infant, is not old enough to understand and to make the statement of saying, I want to associate my life with Jesus. And for children, we do our best to make sure a child understands that if they want to be baptized, we do our best to make sure they understand what's happening. Sometimes we come to parents and we say, listen, maybe you need to wait. I'm not sure your child is ready. I'm not sure they really understand that they're associating their life with Jesus. We want to make sure they understand. There's no inherent reason to wash a child until they're at the point when they can choose for themselves to say, I want to associate my life with Jesus. Now, that does not mean, listen, please listen to my heart. That does not mean that if you were baptized as an infant, as a baby, it doesn't mean that that was not very very precious and important to your parents. But in terms of infant baptism, there's really no such thing in Scripture. I, I know some churches, some churches do, and, and they, they create a context for infant baptism but it's impossible for a baby, a child, to declare publicly that they're standing on the side of Christ. The tragedy is this with infant baptism. It gives a family or 
maybe a person who was baptized as an infant. It gives them this sense of I'm in with Jesus because I was baptized as an infant. But the reality is the only way to be in with Jesus is to choose to follow him. And if someone's been baptized as an infant and that's what they're looking at to say, I'm okay with God because that happened, the unfortunate thing is we just don't see that in Scripture and therefore we know that that doesn't mean we're okay with God. You don't have to believe me on this. I'm just asking you. Just read your New Testament. Just read the Bible and see what it has to say. It's not even hinted at. In the Bible, infant baptism is not even alluded to. So then you might say, but why? If that's the case, Harley, then why did they tell me that? And I would say that's a great question. A question probably you should ask that person. But I can promise you this. The answer to that question will not come from a clear teaching of Scripture. I have some friends who would say, but hardly there's that one passage in the Bible where this guy becomes a Christian and it says he went and shared it with his family and his whole family believed and they were baptized. I would say, yes, that is in the Bible. And it's a great passage, but the problem is we can't say that that's a reason to baptize infants because it doesn't say anything about infants. My whole family is baptized, but they weren't baptized until they were old enough to understand and to take that passage and say that that's a reason to baptize infants when that's not what the passage says. That's not a clear teaching of Scripture. You have to stop and ask yourself, well, how old were those people in that story, in that passage? We can say that when you look at the New Testament, it was a decision that individuals made when they were personally ready to publicly identify with Jesus. That is who baptism is for. And it's modeled that way all through the New Testament. Here's the second question. This is what we led with this morning. Is baptism what it takes to get a person saved? To get a person into heaven? Again, there are many churches that teach that. But the Bible, the Bible just doesn't teach that. In fact, it teaches the opposite. We can look at Jesus himself. Jesus was baptized, but Jesus was sinless. He didn't need to be baptized to wash away the sin so he could get into heaven. Jesus was publicly declaring that he was aligning his life with what he this guy was saying and saying, this is truth. 
and I'm standing behind it. There's another instance where Jesus, you may know the story, when Jesus is on the cross and and one of the criminals beside him, in that moment, believes that Jesus really is who he said he was, the sinless son of God. And Jesus looks at him and he says, guess what? This very day, in just a few moments, we're going to be together in eternity. Jesus didn't say, but hey, we got to baptize you first. Some people might say, well, that's just an exception. Jesus could make that exception. We can't. But I I want you to understand, Jesus would not be so confusing as to set up a rule that only applied to him and did not apply to his creation. No one in that time period, well, let let me put it this way. The writers of the New Testament, the writers of the New Testament understood that baptizo, that that word itself just was simply a a washing, a dunking, a dipping, a non-religious word. They did not apply salvation to the term baptizo. It was just an everyday word. There was no need for them to to add an extra explanation to say, oh, and by the way, this is not salvific. This is not a salvation thing. Because everyone who heard the word in the first century understood that this was an identity thing, a ceremonial identity, a washing. I know that churches teach other things. There's some verses in the Bible that if you take them out of Scripture and put them by themselves and teach just that verse out of context of the rest of Scripture by itself, there's some verses that could make you think that that's what it's saying. But we learned a long time ago that to understand what the Bible teaches, you cannot remove a passage from the Bible and let it stand alone. The Bible is taught with the rest of the Bible. And what we see the New Testament is teaching is that salvation comes not from anything we do, not from anything we add to what Jesus did, nothing. What Jesus did on the cross was enough. And it requires no more. All we have to do is submit to that. And that's why the criminal on the cross, without baptism, without him walking down an aisle, without him filling out a connection card, that's why Jesus looked at him and said, today, in just a few minutes, you're going to be with me in paradise. So, What does that mean for us? It's extremely important. Baptism. Baptism is important. It has nothing to do with babies. It has nothing to do with you nailing down 
your ticket into heaven. What does it mean? Well, here's what it means. It means if you have not been washed, if you have not used this as the public way of saying that I am genuinely following Jesus, then you need to be washed. You need to be baptized, baptizo. You need to be dunked or dipped or drowned, whatever it is for you. Over time, this word which started out as baptizo, later it came to be known when they translated this Bible into English, it came to be known as baptism. And for us, baptism, it's not it's not a numbers thing that we're just trying to baptize as many people as possible no matter what they believe or what they think. For us, it's a public way of saying that I'm really genuinely following Jesus. You may have been christened as a baby. You may have been baptized as an infant or a young child. But perhaps, perhaps in the New Testament fashion, maybe you need to be baptized. Because since you genuinely decided to follow Jesus, maybe you have not been baptized since then. The issue is when were you baptized? Not really where were you baptized. That's not important. And, I, and I'm going to even say this, not really even how you were baptized. I, we can make a theological case for submerging, for dunking. But I think the real question at hand is really when were you baptized? Have you been baptized since you started following Jesus? Think about this for a moment. How cool it is that you get to publicly identify your life as believers all over the world for centuries have done, as Jesus asked. Some who have risked their very lives to even say publicly <laughs> through baptism that they are aligning their lives with Jesus. That they're saying, I'm committing my life to him. He is my boss. He is my ruler. He is my king. This is not something that becomes a checklist, uh, uh, an obligation. But rather it's an opportunity for us to say, Jesus asked me to do this. And it is my privilege to let people know publicly that I'm associating my life with his truth. It's an opportunity to, to, opportunity to be obedient to Jesus, to do exactly what he's asked us to do. And even today, you'll have the opportunity, if you choose, to be a part of that at 2 o'clock. So my question simply is this. You have some friends here today who are going to be baptized at 2 o'clock. My question is, do you need to join them.
Let's pray. God, we are so grateful. We're so very grateful that your work on the cross was complete and it was sufficient. And we need to add nothing to that, that what you did has paid the price for our sins and we can simply submit our lives to you and follow you. And God, you've asked us to publicly identify our lives with you, with this strange thing, this ceremonial washing. And God, there may be some of us here today who for the first time may be really beginning to understand what you've asked them to do. Not so that they can be saved, but so that they can tell the world the way you've asked, that we publicly identify our lives with yours. That we are taking on a new identity. That our old life is going away and you are creating us new. God, we are grateful for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.